You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 11. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Draft Chat Podcast. My name is Zach Hackett. I'm one of your hosts, and with me, as always, is Ben Fisher, fresh off the plane of Zendikar. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty good, and you know the hazards of Zendikar are, are pretty dangerous. But I just spilled a whole glass of water on my leg as we started recording. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think I could say I'm a pretty seasoned adventurer at this point. All right. Well, this week, everybody, we are talking. Some final thoughts on M21. We're going to wrap that up as the season comes to a close. And we also started getting some Zendikar Rising spoilers. That season is upon us. So we're going to be kind of doing half M21 final thoughts, the format farewell for for M21, as well as our thoughts on the most recent Zendikar Rising spoilers that happened this week. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun, Ben. Yeah, so I guess you could say this is like the M21 sunset and the Zendikar sunrise. So you might say it's a uh, dusk to dawn, <sighs> maybe? <laughs> Oof, okay, anyway. So uh, uh, for any of you who are interested in discussing magic, discussing the new spoilers, discussing limited, uh, we do have a Discord channel that's open. Uh, we're trying to continue developing completely free to anybody who wants to be a part of that. The, disc, uh, the Discord link is going to be in the description for this episode, as well as on our Twitter page, at DraftJaffPod, if you're interested in checking that out. We're trying to keep up to date with all of the spoilers in our spoiler sh- uh, channel over on that server, so feel free to give that a look, and we'll spur up some good conversation there. We also have our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash DraftJaffPod. If you're interested in giving back to the show, um, you want to contribute a bit and uh, get some cool perks out of it as well, Go ahead over there and give that a look. So that brings us to our crack a draft type thing, Ben. We have one last M21 pick. I know, I know. Hold mm. your groan. Oh, mm. it, nope, it got through. One more. Just one more. And you don't have to all do right, the full draft. Right. It's just the first pick. That's fair. All right. Well, let's kind of breeze through this. I think our listeners, maybe they've had enough of M21 at this point. But yeah, let, let's get one more pack. In. Okay. Our pack is as follows. We have Scoured Barons. Garrick's Gorehorn, Alchemist's Gift, Celestial Enforcer, Titanic Growth, Pride Malkin, Ornery Dilophosaur, Wall of Runes, Frost Breath, Sky Scanner, and Vidalian Arcanist in our commons. In our uncommons, we have Jeskai Elder, Fungal Rebirth, Tolarian Kraken, and our rare is Kervek the Spiteful. So, hmm. what are you on here, Ben? This is a really interesting pack. So there's, what, two black cards, one white card, no red cards, and everything else is blue or green? Yeah. <clears throat> well, Kervik is not really impressed me. Uh, I found that although you can kind of build around him if you take him early, oftentimes he ends up hurting you just as much as he hurts your opponent. Uh, I do like Delarian Kraken. I think this can be a solid late-game threat, but as we know with M21, it is hyper-aggressive. So I think I'm probably on the Pride Malkin. Yeah, me too. Pride Malkin has been really, really good in this format and paired with the top green common for me, the Drowsing Pteranodon. Mm-hmm. You know, you go Pteranodon into Pride Malkin, you're able to start jamming with that Pteranodon on turn three, and that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I think this really sums up how I feel about M21. It's just a, a, a pack with a bad rare 
and cool uncommons, and they're all too slow because you have to take the hyper aggro card. Like, come on, in any normal format, you could first pick a sky scanner or, or some effect like that and be pretty happy, right? But in this format, I didn't really find sky scanner to be great, maybe even not really playable. Yeah, I don't think I ever played one, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was in person, my honest to God first pick out of this was probably, it'd probably be Garrick Scorehorn because <laughs> in our, our draft we pulled up, we had the, uh, the special alt art. <laughs> yeah, right. You got to collect those alt arts. Yeah, of course. Anyway, I'm not gonna not gonna miss <laughs> opening packs like this. We have bigger and better things coming in, in Zendikar, apparently. Yeah, we'll see. Let's get to that. But before that, we have our Teferi Tybalt section. For those who who aren't familiar, maybe uh, new listeners, this is kind of the section of the show where we discuss our highs and lows for the week. So, uh, I guess I'll kick us off. My Teferi this week was well, Zendikar Rising spoiler season started. Mm-hmm. That's always awesome, and very excited to be back at one of my favorite planes as well and i know one of yours uh ben as well yeah and we also passed 500 total downloads for the podcast so that's pretty awesome uh, very exciting Woo! yeah I, I thought it would i honestly thought it would take us at least a year to hit triple digits i did not expect to have done that we did that in our first month <laughs> and yep. now we almost doubled our views or our listens for the second month we've been doing this so that's been awesome thank you all for listening we yeah, really appreciate a- you all. Absolutely. Like this is <laughs> I, I kind of figured like maybe two or three people would listen to us, but the fact that what is this? This is our eleventh episode. So we've been averaging around fifty listeners per episode. I know some are higher and lower, but honestly to everyone listening right now, thank you. We genuinely do appreciate this. And the fact that you come back every week to hear what nonsense we spout off, that that <laughs> that makes my day. Yeah. On the flip side, my tibble this week is I, I kind of hurt my hands using the computer what? so I, I guess i'm old now i don't what, what do you mean like carpal tunnel or something I, I thought that might be what it was just because for those who don't know our, our listeners i'm in software it's what i do for a living um i'm a site reliability engineer so i'm on the computer constantly and then when i'm not on the computer for work i'm on the computer for fun um <laughs> so i'm basically always using a keyboard and started last week but my my like the padding where my thumb is just started hurting really badly hmm. and it didn't go away for a while and then that finally started going away and then my other hand started aching like up near the knuckle where Jeez. one of my fingers yeah it's it's just been a, like a nightmare and I'm, i don't really understand what's going on but i'm also a big fidgeter so i'm like constantly using my hands even when i'm not doing anything so i think i just need to chill yeah that's really weird have you ever seen that meme where it's like gotta finish looking at bad screen at work so i can go home and look at good screen at home (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) that's you that's you with your computer right now basically except instead of at work and at home it's in the kitchen and in my room (laughs) (laughs) that's true not much of a hike well i hope your hands feel better put some ice on there so my teferi for this week was uh i had another mythic finish this this month yeah Uh, congrats Thank you. Uh, finished at Mythic 749. You know, I don't think this actually does anything because I was already qualified for the qualifier for the, the Zendikar Rising uh, historic, whatever it's called, I, Mythic Invitated Qualifying <laughs> uh, Mythic Super Mythic. I don't know anymore. But uh, uh, yeah, I was at High Diamond or no, I was at Low Diamond and I was like, eh, the, the format ends in 24 hours. I may as well just try to push through, right? And uh Thanks to a few pretty great decks, uh, I actually chose to go through with Eldraine. I, I love Amon um, Ket Remastered, but 
I was thinking, I don't know. I haven't played Eldraine a little bit. And I opened the Great Henge and I was like, all right, we're not looking back. <laughs> we're going in. That's awesome. So, yeah, that, that was fun. I, I know there's been this discussion going on in the, in the community every once in a while about like, is hitting Mythic an achievement or does it mean you're as good as the pros? No, I don't think it does. But is it an achievement? Is it something to be proud of? Yeah, of course. People work for this. So yeah. uh, <clears throat> it, it's something, you know, a little pat on the back that reminds me that I have some skill. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, LSV and Marshall actually did a a discussion on that topic exactly whether like hitting Mythic is actually a real achievement and how it compares to just being a pro Magic player on one of their more recent episodes where they answered some Q and A questions. Really cool discussion. So if you guys are interested in that debate, go ahead over there and check them out at LR. Absolutely. So my tipple for this week, the the downside is I don't actually know what I'm going to do in this tournament. Like my favorite tier one deck uh, just got banned field ramp. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I guess I have to pick another one of these decks. I hate the sacrifice decks. I don't love goblins. None of these feel very good. I don't know. Maybe I'll see if there's any kind of controly. Maybe like bant control. Just put a bunch of bant cards in a deck and call it a day. That'll that'll win games, right? I mean, it seems like it does well in standard. I don't know. I'll see what we can figure out. But anyway, it's time to get to our uh, what I've been looking forward to for a long time. Our, our M21 Chaffee Awards. Let's go. Let, let's talk about some of the, the chaffiest, the best stuff from M21, the worst stuff from M21. What we'll miss, what we won't miss. You want to start us off with our, our first category? Sure. So just a quick recap for those who aren't familiar with this sort of format for us. At the end of every main set, we're trying to do uh, a farewell to the format and as such we are giving away what we're donning the chaffee awards for all those separate categories that ben mentioned our first one here is most powerful card not really a, a chaff card but yeah so for me the chaffee for most powerful card goes to ugin the spirit dragon it's just a colorless amazing planeswalker yes it's expensive and actually is probably at its worst in this format than we've ever seen it but it still is basically eight mana win the game yeah, that, that, that is usually pretty good. I decided to go with Massacre Worm here. Uh, Bane Slayer was also pretty high on my list, but I, I you know, am embarrassed to admit I did lose one game where I had a Bane Slayer on the field, so <laughs> it couldn't have gotten quite that high. But no, I think Massacre Worm, it just, like, anytime you cast this thing, you're going to get a concession or they're going to die on the spot. Like, if, if your deck is built around it in a way, which really doesn't require much of a build around at all, you're going to be pretty happy with either of these cards. Pack one, pick one. These are, you know... Most powerful cards in the set, in our opinions. Moving on, we have most annoying card. Ooh, and the, the Chaffee for this is, for me, it's going to go to Teferi's Tutelage. Yeah, I can't stand Teferi's Tutelage. I, <laughs> I hate drawing cards. I hate doing all this nonsense, milling and such. Just let me sit and play a normal, balanced, fair game of Magic. Speaking of normal, balanced, and fair, my most <laughs> annoying card is Seasoned Hallowblade. It's just yeah. so annoying to interact with. And when you see your opponent slam one of these, you're just like, what am I supposed to do here? And if you are mm -hmm. thinking about what you're supposed to do there, we did an entire episode on this card. But yeah. even still, it's really annoying to play against. Yeah, and that actually leads us into our Chaffee for the best jank in the set. I, I went with Seasoned Hallowblade for this one. It's obvious. This is a draft chaff, like, well... It's draft chaff hero. Draft hero. It's a draft chaff hero. What can I say? It embodies what chaff is. No one wants a seasoned Halloblade, although I think I did see it show up in one or two standard lists. 
uh, the, the little dorky mono white decks that were going around. I don't think those were very good, though. Um, I think they, they kind of spiked the format for a bit, and once people adjusted, it's, it's whatever. But no, no mm-hmm. one really needs a bunch of Season Hallowblades. This is, a, this is a, a jank card for sure. Yeah, I also had Season Hallowblade here. Next up, Biggest Chaff. We were actually, uh, we had the same thing on this. Life goes on, I guess, you know, after M21. <laughs> it's unanimous, yeah. Life does go on, and we're not going to be looking back on M21 too much, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Most Unexpected Chaff. These are cards that, going into the format, we thought might actually be pretty solid, and they turned out to just not get the job done. Usually when they print a, uh, you know, seven mana dragon, you expect it to do something, right? Like, you expect it to be at least semi-playable. Yeah, usually. Well, uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, the uh, the Hellkite, Hellkite Punisher did not really get there on this one. Seven mana, six, six flyer with fire breathing? That sounds amazing, right? There, there'd be so many limited sets where that's an, a game-ending bomb. But uh, turns out it was balanced because you just died to your opponent's one-drops while this thing sat in your hand. Yeah, for me, I had Meteorite in this slot. It's a 5-mana artifact that deals 2 to anything when it hits the battlefield and is actually mana rock. So, you know, that's usually a pretty solid card, and I think in most formats, it, it tends to get the job done. But here, it's just way too slow. Mm-hmm. I think you'd probably play this exactly and only if you had Ugin in your deck, right? Yeah, I, I don't see any other reason that you really want to be playing, even in like the other control decks of the format that you don't want to be in anyway. I don't really mm-hmm. see Meteorite getting played. And in fact, I never saw the card played. I've never seen it cast against me in this format. Yeah, I've maybe seen it once. Actually, I take it back. Ugin or Chromatic Orrery. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Actually, I never saw a Chromatic Orrery cast either, but whatever. Next up is our pet card. What, what, was, what was the card you loved the most that you just wanted to, you know take everyone you saw well if there's a single card that i had to pinpoint in this format that just really really did it for me you know i just couldn't help but put them in every deck i played teferi's tutelage hands down why am i not surprised (laughs) (laughs) what can i say i love drawing cards i love milling i love the shenanigans basically i love everything about magic that you hate you can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes back into my skull. Uh, <laughs> my pet card of this format was actually a card, and I'm, I'm happy to say I was high on this card from the very beginning, Anointed Chorister. This plucky little 1-1 with a pump ability that... I, I've seen Anointed Chorister, which costs one white mana, attack for eight lifelinking power. Come on, what more could you want from a white one drop in Limited? They say white cards aren't powerful. <laughs> Just look at this thing. <laughs> He says about a card in the <laughs> literal least powerful format we've had in years. Yeah, no, Anointed Chorister. I, I just genuinely like this thing. I think it's great to put counters on. You can toss some equipment on if you really have to. It ends up just, you know, getting you through the early game and then getting you through the late game. Uh, I, I just really liked Chorister. I took it really highly, and then other people started taking it really highly, and I felt like a hipster. And I was like, oh, I told you it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Most Disappointing Archetype, and we were unanimous on this one as well. It's Sanctums. That deck just never got there. Want to get a, a soundboard to play a little womp, 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 womp. <laughs> yeah, Sanctums seemed like it could have been good. I never even bothered to attempt forcing Sanctums. I know some people out there tried, and I'm sure some people out there got there, but I don't know. I, I just don't see a world in which the Sanctums deck that you drafted 
is the optimal seat for your deck, right? Maybe if you put in one or two Sanctums that could do things, Sanctum of Stonefangs is, is fine on its own. It triggers a lot of the, the synergies in that deck. But for example, like the white one by itself, just absolutely abysmal. Yeah, and you couldn't really put this deck together unless you open Sanctum of All. And like, how often is that happening? Yeah, then you're also hoping to get a bunch of good fixing and just so many things had to go right. Meanwhile, your opponent is going one drop, one drop, one drop, three drop with haste, four drop. <laughs> like, yeah, the Double Sanctum's two drop. Deck. Yeah, like I could see Sanctums working as a, a gates type of thing in a slower deck where, or in a slower format where you have a lot more uh, fixing and card draw and the threats are more expensive and sorcery speed and slow, but eh, not in a blitz format like this. One new addition we have this time around is the the Chaffee 4 creature you'd most want to have as a pet. <laughs> I think what inspired this is just look how cute some of these guys are. I went with Selfless Savior myself. So uh, I, it, it, like, come on. He's there to help you. Yeah, I think it helps that this, this set brought about the dog subtype, right? So there are a bunch of dogs running around. Uh, oh, personally, yeah. I had Bolt Hound here. He's just... So quick. He's always got the zoomies. <laughs> He's running all over the place. I love the Bolt Hound pet on Arena. When you click it enough times, it'll like zip around the entire scene. Yeah, so Pretty sweet. And, and uh... probably the most the most fun question <laughs> that we have to answer here for this Chaffee Awards for M21. Would you rather eat broken glass or draft M21 again? Get me some salt. I'm ready to dig in, man. <laughs> <laughs> And my response to this was, does sand count? It's technically broken glass. I mean, I don't think I want to cut my mouth up, but I'll eat some sand if it means I don't have to draft M21 again. <laughs> All right. To, to put it in, in more words, uh, we can share some of our final thoughts on M21. It was a fine, but you know, ultimately forgettable set, in my opinion. I mean, Bazaar's Acolyte and Drowsing Tyranodon and all these interesting powered up commons are cute at first. Like, oh, look, good white cards. And look at this, like, dinosaur that can't attack. Ooh, but I just found that they got old really fast. And uh, a lot of the times, the most impressive things you could do were it was like stringing together a bunch of low, low, co low power commons. And <laughs> I don't know, that, that just puts it at a pretty low fun ceiling for me and a, a pretty low replayability value once i saw everything i wanted to i could not imagine playing this over something like amonkhet remastered or even over eldrain yeah i think uh one of the downsides this format had going forward is like once you drafted maybe three or four times you realize if i'm not getting past naya car colored cards then like i'm putting together a bad deck even the best non-naya decks are still kind of bad in the format in it was reanimator, but yeah, but that's even, the, the single exception, I think, though. Right, and if you even the reanimator decks paired up against the, the like highest power level, like red, white, or red, green de decks, still just don't get there. So mm -hmm. it's like like even the drafting in this format wasn't f very fun. There there just wasn't all those like flashy opens. You couldn't get past the pack and be like, "Whoa, that's so cool!" Yeah, it was just like exactly. okay, here's this crappy common. For me, it started feeling it started out like the format started out feeling a bit refreshing coming off of some of the more higher power level sets that we've seen recently, like Ikoria and and uh, Eldraine. Mm. But at, like I said, after the first four or maybe five drafts, it leaves you just really wanting more. It's not a very exciting experience, and then the games play out 
virtually the same every every game as well because everybody's playing aggression and if they're not your deck's kind of dirtly i would have liked Dirtling a few more fun. exciting things to do than just jam all the naya commons i get past yeah that in the presence of some random busted things at uncommon looking at you season hallow blade and teferi's tutelage it it made for this weird format where like it was low power level but every once in a while there'd be these like busted things happening anyway so honestly just not a very fun environment to be playing in well it's finally over ben goodbye m21 nice we'll see you hopefully not again (laughs) but that brings us to zendikar rising the next set for mtg it's coming out in september i think we only have a couple weeks until it releases so why don't you kind of give us the rundown what what did we get this week ben what what's what's the deal with zendikar rising yeah oh i'm excited i love zendikar so for any of you that have been living under a, a hedron-shaped rock for the last week, there was a huge announcement stream on Tuesday uh, about this new set, Zendikar Rising, uh, which had a bunch of its main mechanics and, and things like that. So we're going to run through a list of all the big mechanics and things that we're excited for. So first of all, Kicker is back. So uh, we had Kicker last in Dominaria, I want to say. And uh, it's a you know pretty common, uh, common uh, mechanic throughout Magic's history. It's uh, essentially, what if you could cast a spell, but then add a little more mana to get an even bigger effect? So a kicker card that they spoiled already was Blood Chief's Thirst. This is one black for a sorcery, and it has kicker two and a black. So as you're casting this, you either pay one black and get an effect, or you'll kick it and it'll cost two black black. So it says, destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost two or less. If this spell was kicked, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker this is really good removal yeah this is kind of busted to be honest it's it's an uncommon so we're not talking about this at the common level but it's a it's basically fatal push for those who remember that card with upside and sometimes it's just like doom blade yeah it is sorcery speed so it doesn't have that same uh like pretty powerful interaction with fetch lands that uh that fatal push had it's like crack a fetch on your opponent's end step that kind of thing fatal push a thing uh, after revolt was triggered but this is unconditional four mana removal for any creature or planeswalker and then it's occasional one mana removal for creatures and i don't know is there any planeswalker in standard with cmc two or less maybe the about jace standard token that's going to be made uh with the new jace that got spoiled yeah, I don't, I don't really care too much about standard, to be honest, but I'm curious if that first clause, like, are, are there going to be two mana Planeswalkers we can get rid of with this? Potentially in older formats, if Ren and the Six ever got super dominant, mm. but I don't know. I think this is going to be a pretty pretty stable card. I expect to see Blood Chief's Thirst around for a while. What have we got next? Yeah, so next up is a new type of card. So we've seen double face cards before. They're very common in Innistrad type sets. We've seen modal cards, cards that give you choices. Well, now they put them together. So we have what they're calling modal double-faced cards, or if you watch the stream, they call them modal DFCs. And in this set, all of them have lands on one side. So it's some some card. It might be a land. It might be an instant or sorcery. It might be a creature uh, on, on the face. So on the front face, it's whatever that card is. And on the back, it's a land of some kind. And the way these cards work is in your hand, they're whatever the front face is, but when you cast it, you're given the option you can cast either the front or back side. So it kind of works like the old dual cards from like original Ravnica block, where you can just cast either or. 
you don't get to cast both. And when it's in the graveyard, it's whatever the front face is as well as when it's in your hand. But this is really interesting for the game because it kind of fixes a problem that I think Magic has had for a while and that other games are starting to really point out in Magic. And that's Mana Screw or Mana Flood. It's really, really annoying when games just aren't games because you can't play lands that you don't draw or you're just drawing only lands and you can't play any spells. So this kind of gives you the best of both worlds where if you need a land, you play the land side. If you need whatever the actual effect is of the card, you just play that side. And I think that's a really cool design. And I'm very excited to see this. We do have a cycle of rare lands in this uh, form where both sides are lands, but each side taps for a different color. So for instance, we have Clearwater Pathway. They're all, all of them are named something pathway. Um, so on the front face, it's just an island. It just taps. It doesn't enter tapped or anything. It just taps for blue mana. And on the back side, it taps for black mana. It's a, basically a swamp. Uh, but notably, they don't have basic land type. So things that fetch for, for basic lands wouldn't grab these. But still very powerful, and I'm excited to see these into the game. Yeah, this is a very interesting design. So my question is, how does this affect deck building? Like We saw them try to push the, uh, the deck building restrictions with Yorian. But uh, this is going to be much more significant than that. Does this mean that we're going to be playing like 40 card limited decks where we have maybe 10 basic lands and then 30 kind of spells. Notably on the uncommons that they've spoiled so far that are these modal DFCs where it's, say, a creature on one side and a land on the other. The lands always enter tapped, so I don't think you can just jam infinite of these into a deck. I don't think there's going to be a... I don't know. Would you ever want to play... A deck wherein every single spell is also a land, but every single land enters tapped. Some interesting extreme cases to consider here. Yeah, I think it's really going to depend on the speed of the format. I'm hoping we get a slower format here between M21 and Amonkit Remastered. I'm kind of tired of the the speedy aggro heavy uh, formats. And honestly, if we can get some solid green-blue decks in this format, I'm going to be super happy. But, You're right. Green blue has been historically pretty underpowered in Magic's history. <laughs> okay, look, you. I haven't gotten to play a so- look. The format that had Lorescale Quaddle in it didn't let me play Lorescale Quaddle. Yeah, that's, that's like true. one of my favorite all-time cards. And Amonkhet isn't being very kind to River Hoopoo right now. No, not at all. I actually got a last pick River Hoopoo on uh, uh, in one draft. Yeah, I know. It's, last it's, pick. It's, it's it's like borderline blasphemy, but. Anyway, I think you're on to something there with uh, the deck building restrictions. I think it is going to change. I don't think we're going to be seeing the typical 17 land decks. Mm-hmm. At least you're not going to be running like your 9-7 split or 9-8 split, right? You're going to probably have some mix of basic lands and then also some of these dual, like the, the modal double face cards. But like you said, all the ones that they've spoiled besides this rare cycle enter the battlefield tapped. And that's pretty massive yeah. unless the format's really slow then it might not be a problem. Mm-hmm. Also, a, yeah, go you ahead. can't, well, like I said, you can't fetch for these as lands because in your deck, they're not lands mm-hmm. except for the rare ones. So that might change things too. We've already seen a lot of sort of ramp uh, cards spoiled. So that might also make, make things different as well. Yeah. Th- this seems really interesting. Uh, I'm wondering if like any of these are going to be broken I know people were kind of freaking out when this mechanic got spoiled, saying like something like along the lines of, oh, this, there's no way they don't print a broken one of these. Honestly, all the ones we've seen so far have been pretty tame. 
None of them have too high an upside. I know they spoiled one just today at time of recording where it's a tapped blue land on one side, and then I think it's a five mana four three flyer or five mana four three on the other side. And then whenever you cast a uh, instant sorcery or wizard, it gains flying. I don't see that being busted. It's just an uncommon, but I, I think this is a pretty safe design space to explore. And uh, notably, I think for the first time in Magic's history, these technically flip to the left instead of the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the power level is going to shake out. You can only do one or the other, right? So I don't think... It's not like you have this creature that is also... Like, all your creatures are also lands or something. Um, yeah. They totally didn't spoil a card that does that. But that's a different discussion. <laughs> you know. Um, I'm trying to think how you could break this. Maybe um, some sort of sacrifice outlet where it's a, a creature on the front side and a land on the back side, and then you play like a fast bond and then a sack outlet and some way to get stuff back from your graveyard repeatedly. But that's just like a... I, I can't see how this doesn't go well. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't... I th this is pretty safe, I think. I agree. Next up, we have, speaking of lands, we have Landfall. Ooh, yeah. I love Landfall. This is really exciting me personally. I, landfall was one of the, the mechanics that I first got experience with back when I built my very first commander deck, which was uh, Bruna, Light of Alabaster. And my favorite card that I put into that deck was a little dude named Hedron Crab. And would you believe it? They printed another one. They printed Ruin Crab. Absolutely love this card. One blue for... A 0-3 crab at uncommon, and it has landfall whenever land enters the battlefield under your control. Each opponent mills three cards. Now, notably, I can't put this in Bruna because it only targets your opponent instead of any player, but hey, landfall is fun. Uh, playing lands is a, an interesting part of the game, and it, like you mentioned earlier, it's one of the things that makes magic unique. We've also seen that there's going to be a few ways to return lands to your hand, and uh, one of the strengths of the original Zendikar block was that you know, every resource was used. People were playing these very aggressive decks, but lands had purpose in the late game because of landfall abilities. It would turn your three mana one one into a three mana four four or something like that. So I'm wondering if there's going to be ways to say return creatures or instants and sorceries to your hand from your graveyard. And then if you return, say, a modal DFC, then you could choose whether you want to recast that for its face or for the land on the on the backside to trigger your landfall abilities. I think this could lead to some really interesting gameplay decisions. Yeah, actually, I didn't think about that. That's really interesting. I think that's going to be a really cool line of play, and I think it's going to make these limited formats relatively complex, and I'm super down for it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, fun limited formats, are you ready to party? Oh, gosh, you did it. <laughs> oh, man, I'm very ready to party. I'm going to go gather my friends, a cleric, warrior, rogue, and a wizard, because this is the new mechanic. So it's a, I don't know, if it's a, a, a keyword mechanic, does party actually show up on a thing, or is it just kind of used in sentences? It's just used as, like, rules text. Yeah, it's not, it's not actually a keyword. Mm -hmm. So, uh, interestingly... They've kind of taken this D&D &D approach where if you have a full party, which is one cleric, or sorry, I think it's up to one cleric, one warrior, one rogue, one wizard, it checks to see if you have four. Uh, this effect will lessen the cost of spells or uh, allow you to do different things, or you'll get to have a certain effect for each person in your party, or 
it's not person. Sometimes it's going to be vampires and other whatever. Essentially, if you control one of each of these creatures, you'll get some cool effects. So, for example, we have the new Linvala that was spoiled. So this is Linvala Shield of Seagate. It's a one white blue for a legendary angel wizard. Angel wizard, that's interesting. <laughs> She's a 3-3. Three, three. She's a flyer. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if, uh, if you control a full party, choose target, non-land permanent, and opponent controls. Until your next turn, it can attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. And then you can also sacrifice her to give Hexproof or Indestructible to all your creatures. Yeah, so it's like a movable pacifism effect, but then it also shuts down activated abilities. Seems pretty solid. Yeah, and notably this only triggers if you have a full party, not if you have a semi-party. But right. something I've been noticing with these spoilers, pretty much every creature in the set is a cleric, warrior, rogue, or wizard. There's some random ones like crocodiles and... I don't know. I think I saw some elementals floating around. There's the crab. But for the most part, I don't think this is going to be very hard to uh, to achieve. Yeah, so Mark Rosewater, for those who don't know, put out an article, uh, I think it was just yesterday, about some of the new mechanics. He spoiled a few cards, and he talked about party pretty extensively. And he gave a breakdown there of which colors are more likely to see which of these keywords. You can see all of them in... Actually, I don't know if you can see all of them in every color, but uh, there are some, it does seem like blue-white is going to be more of the party sort of guild. Mm -hmm. um, but you you can see all these across all the all the colors is what it seems. Yeah, I saw that there was a uh, blue-white, the blue-white signpost on common was a draw spell that relied on having a full party. So maybe blue-white does have this, but... No, I could so obviously black will have rogues and and clerics and warriors. Even red will have warriors and rogues, and white will have clerics and warriors. Maybe even wizards. And you know, I don't think it's going to be very hard to get these in any color combination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's a mechanic, right? They're probably not going to want um, like certain colors not to be able to partake in in contributing to the, the mechanic. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting just how easy it is to set this up, though. I mean, this is a three-mana card, right? The Linvala in particular. You're you're definitely not triggering your full party on turn three. Yeah. Um, unless you happen to have three one-drops that are different creature types. <laughs> that would be quite the format. But it, it's good that... I, I like to see that, that Linvala herself actually contributes to the party, right? She's a wizard, so you just need a warrior, a rogue, and a cleric at that point. Um, mm. so that, that's good to see and I hope that all the other cards that care about having a party also have one of the four types that are relevant for those it'd be really annoying if they printed you know uh, if you have a full party blah 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 do whatever uh, on a creature that's not a member of the party yeah that would be annoying I like the rare that uh, it's an elf two drop but it has every creature type so yeah. it, it it helps for anything yeah, I thought it was interesting. I wonder if it was a space issue, but they they for those who haven't seen this card, it's it's a green rare and I think it's it's only creature type is elf, but then it has a yeah. line of text on it that says it also has the creature types cleric, warrior, rogue and wizard. I mm -hmm. wonder if that was just a spacing issue. They couldn't put them all in the the, the subtype line. Talking Kinda about weird. a one man party, huh? Oh gosh. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm very excited to see how this goes. In a lot of limited formats, 
you don't always have th- four creatures on the battlefield, especially if one of those isn't, say, a party member. So my question is, is it going to be slow enough where I can you know, get these effects? Oftentimes, if I'm playing, let's say I have four creatures out, and I somehow miraculously manage to get them all to be the exact four I need here. Am I already winning the game? Like, am I already attacking down with these creatures? Or are they, are they small and dorky enough and can't attack in my opponent's stuff such that uh, they end up sticking around long enough to get the party bonuses? I don't really yeah. know how this one's going to play out, but I'm, I'm very excited. I think it's a really cool design. Yeah, that's worth considering. Do the cards themselves outpower their party mechanics? Yeah, we'll see. So give me give me like a, a quick rundown of some of the favorite things you saw with this stream this week. Oh yeah. So Zendikar, I love the aesthetic of Zendikar. It's one of my favorite planes. It looks and feels amazing. I love Hedrons and uh, the, the Avatar landscapes, the blue people, not the bending people. Uh, angels and allies and full art basics. I love all of it. And the new alternate art style looks fantastic. Uh, I recommend looking up Lotus Cobra and Omnath if you haven't seen them yet. They're amazing. They're so good. Shout out to all the artists. Uh, go check out our, our Discord if you want to see some of the spoilers there. Uh, second, Kaldheim and Innistrad. Yeah, we haven't these even touched on these yet. Yeah, so uh, in, this, in this stream this past week, they went over the next year of Magic sets. There's some really cool stuff coming. So immediately after Zendikar is Kaldheim, which we've known has existed because of Plane Chase. Uh, It's always existed, and people kind of gathered that it was going to be like a Viking Nordic theme. I'm excited to see some Norse gods. I'm excited to see some Vikings. Uh, I'm excited to maybe potentially finally get an invitational card with someone that looks like me on the art as I have medium-length hair and a big beard. (laughs) (laughs) So that'd be kind of cool. and uh, it's a new plane. Uh, I'm excited for new planes. I love lore and the story and everything, which is coming back too. Did you see that they just posted the uh, the first Zendikar story online? I did see that. I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I'm happy that that's back because I felt super disconnected the last couple of uh, sets where they didn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the lore, I think, the lore aspect of MTG is part of what keeps a lot of people coming back to the game, and it's really cool to see them printing those again for free. Yeah, I learned only through people talking about how messed up it was that uh, the, the entire Ikoria lore just kind of got swept under the rug. Did you know that Luca was the villain of the set? I had heard that, yeah. I think actually you told me that. But yeah, it was one of those things that like nobody really ever got to read or see the, the Ikoria lore. It just wasn't available. Yeah, it, it really kind of bummed me out that that wasn't a thing. But I'm very excited to to read these uh, these stories one of my favorite pastimes is just zoning out of whatever thing I'm supposed to be doing and checking out what magic stories I've missed and catching up. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to do that again. But uh, yeah. also Innistrad, I'm excited to go back there. My favorite plane, uh, it's going to have some vampires. It's going to have some werewolves, maybe in two simultaneous or offset sets. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work. Yeah, the way they worded it on the stream is that they're... So- we're, we know this for sure. There are two Innistrad sets coming next year. Mm-hmm. One is Innistrad Werewolves and one is Innistrad Vampires. I know, super clever naming, but that's what we're getting. <laughs> the way they phrased it on the stream, and I haven't seen any confirmation of this yet, uh, but the way they phrased it on stream is that we're getting two full-size sets at the same time. I don't know how that works. 
I don't know what the logistics of that are, how drafting those are going to work. Are we going to, is it going to go back to like a block draft where we get some packs of werewolves, some packs of vampires? Are there Mm -hmm. two simultaneously different formats going on at once? I don't know, but I'm super excited. Yeah, we'll have plenty to talk about. And uh, third and finally, my, my favorite thing that's coming up in the near future, bad equipment. I want a bone saw reprint. I want to see some some stupid bad equipment all over the place. Uh, but actually, the real reason I'm, I'm excited for this, I have a confession. I claim to be this like mid range like value player, but I secretly love bad aggro decks. <laughs> and one of my favorite bad aggro decks involves like red white equipment. I just think it's fun. Uh, you you give a crab a sword or something like that and you just go nuts it's a great time so i'm excited to see core returning because the the core tribe has always had a bunch of cool uh artifacts and and equipment synergies and maybe just maybe if we get enough chaff we can add some of them to the uh the draft chaff official cube yeah that'll be interesting but i hate to break it to you ben i think we're gonna get some pretty good equipment in this set uh that that would be the worst i saw the one that got spoiled today uh what's that one called again mall of the skyclaves and for those who haven't seen this card whew, it's it's a it's a doozy it's two and a white for an artifact equipment at rare luckily when mall of the skyclaves enters the battlefield attach it to target creature you control that's right you can just attach it like an aura you don't have to pay an attachment cost or an equip cost mm-hmm. equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has flying and first strike for three Yikes. mana. Yeah, it, this actually reminds me a lot of Demonic Embrace from M21. I'm sorry, I didn't want to talk about M21 again. But <laughs> we saw M, uh, Demonic Embrace be a limited powerhouse. And I think this this uh, big hammer is going to be pr- something pretty similar. Like, imagine just re-equipping this. It turns every single one of your creatures into a threat. Y- you might need to, I don't know, depending on if they have this in the in best of one and best of three, depending on what you're playing it in, you might need to consider playing some sort of uh or or drafting some sort of good artifact removal yeah the equip cost on that is two white white so if they do kill the creature that it attaches itself to when it enters the battlefield you can equip it again for four mana so it's still super cheap and that's an incredibly good effect plus two plus two and flying in first strike is wild yeah this turns anything on your battlefield into a must answer put this on your your two mana two two all of a sudden it's going to end the game yeah, it's pretty wild. So anyway, so, what are you excited for? Yeah, so for me, uh, I'm also very, very excited for Cal- uh, Kaldheim. I've been, honestly, I think, actually, I've been talking about wanting a Viking set since you got into Magic back in Theros. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been a long time coming, and I'm super excited to see uh, Norse gods. How are they gonna? How are they gonna work Thor? How are they gonna work Odin into this uh, set? Uh, Loki. That would be so cool. It's gonna be amazing. Um, Heimdall is probably going to get a card. Like, uh, it's, I'm just so excited. Oh, wait a minute. They might print elk. I could add more elk to my elk EDH oh, deck. God. Oh, man. I just, I just realized that. That's going to be amazing. Fenris will probably get a card. Super excited for that, too. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, Kaldheim's super cool. Very excited for the D&D crossover set they're doing. Yeah. Um, so, for those who didn't get to catch the stream or haven't been, uh, haven't been privy to the new sets that they announced, they announced Kaldheim. They announced uh, Strixhaven, which is essentially Harry Potter meets Magic the Gathering. <laughs> uh, it's like about these five different schools of magic. I assume they're all one for each color, but 
Uh, that should be pretty cool. But Kaldheim, Strixhaven, then a D&D crossover set, which they're calling uh, something in the Forgotten Realms, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, I think, which is yeah. the, the setting for D&D, the, like the official setting. And then also those two Innistrad sets. On top of that, we're getting Time Spiral Remastered, which has apparently been confirmed as only a paper product. And that's that's kind of interesting though because it's got the like every pack is guaranteed to have a card with uh, the old border from original Time Spiral, which oh, is really, yeah. really fun. That's sweet. I'm glad they're listening to some of the uh, the feedback from fans. People have wanted old white bordered cards for ages. Yeah, and uh, let's see what else. There was one other set that I'm missing. Oh, um, Fetchlands Part Two: the Return to oh, Fetchlands. Right. Yeah, Modern Horizons Two. Yeah, I- I'm hoping for a Hogak 2.0, bigger, oh, badder Hogak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like an uncard to be honest. Bigger, better Hogak. <laughs> yeah, actually, I have I have one prediction I'd like to make now. Set it in stone. I didn't tell you about this before. You mentioned that uh, um, Strixhaven, mm-hmm. how it's probably going to be like one like color per uh, per school. I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that it's not one color, but four colors per school. Ooh, so it's one color missing per school. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just feel like that'd be kind of neat, you know. That would be really cool. I don't think they've ever actually done a dedicated set for four color cards. They've not. I think the only times we've seen stuff like that was the uh, the Nephilim cycle from uh, from Ravnica, which everyone knows is just total nonsense cards. Those things should be legendary. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. So actually, that's a pretty cool hot take. I, I'm excited to see if that if that comes true. The other thing I was thinking, I never really got onto four colors in my head, but I was thinking it's either one for each color. Or they might do wedges again and do like some some five some five wedges because it's been a while since they've done wedges. Yeah, um, Icoria kind of had wedges, but I could see them doing the um, uh, what's it called, the like Alara wedges. Maybe have we seen those recently? I don't even remember. I don't think we've seen wedges since those. No, I think because because uh, Cons was like the last time we got. I think those wedges but i could be wrong but either way i think actually four colors an interesting uh an interesting call there we'll see how that turns out um the other one of the other things that i'm super excited for with zendikar rising um is the new modal double face cards uh i i also play a lot of legends of runeterra so it's really cool to see them fixing some of the mana potential issues in in magic uh, it's been mm-hmm. one of the greater things about other card games that I'm really excited to see. I'm <laughs> working on fixing. fixing that. Yeah, you caught <laughs> <Fixing>. me. <laughs> uh, and I'm excited to see how they change the deck composition for limited decks, what mm. that means for deck building in that respect. Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting puzzle to crack for a little while. Yeah, I'm for also sure. I'm also super excited about real ramp in limited again. Uh, like I said, mm. really want blue-green to be good. I just saw today they they spoiled the Shia Soul of the Wild, which is uh, a green legendary creature that turns all of your creatures into lands, basically, in, in addition That's to their funny. other types. It's so cool. Very excited for that. I really hope blue green is good, and I hope I can draw a lot of cards and play big big boys. Oh, don't you worry. I have a feeling blue green will be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. Um, I think that's just about going to do it for us. Do you have any uh, closing remarks you want to throw in here, Ben? No, honestly, my biggest takeaway from this this past week was that uh, you know, there's a lot to be upset about in the world right now for for various reasons, no matter where you're at. But uh, I know, especially us here in the United States, there's there's been quite a bit going on. So it, this has been a nice distraction, a, a nice uh, silver lining, a nice little bright spot to keep us keep our minds off some of the the worst things. 
Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty nicely. As always, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at DraftChaffPod or at either of us directly at RanikAlfredian or at BetaFish1. All of those uh, Twitter handles are going to be in the episode description as well as our Patreon link, patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. If you're interested in giving back and contributing to the show, uh, that's the best place to do it. And like we said in the beginning, we're also uh, trying to kick up a discord server of sorts so if you're interested in talking all things limited head over there and um, yeah we'll catch you next week see you guys see ya so uh i have a bit of a sign-off idea did you happen to see this week uh there was some some trending going on around the uh the live stream talking about people's ideal zendikar adventure parties did you see that i did yeah i saw that you posted one too yeah, so the, the MTG party challenge or something. Yeah, mine was pretty good. I put in like Transcendent Master and Fathom Mage, Grim Flare, some cards I actually really like. So that got me thinking, what would be the worst possible MTG party challenge? What would be the worst uh, D&D-esque magic party of, of legendary creatures? Oh, only of legendaries. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, I, I drafted up something here. Okay. I have a theory that this would probably be the absolute worst MTG party. So first of all, our cleric, Geist of St. Traft. He's dead oh, already. Don't do me like that. Don't do me like that. <laughs> he's already dead. What's he going to do? Uh, second, for our wizard, Niv-Mizzet Perrin. So wait, 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 wait. Here- Hold on. How is Niv-Mizzet the like, ultimate wizard your pick for worst wizard in an adventuring party? I knew you'd say that. That's why you got to hold on until I talk about the other ones. So next, we have, <laughs> for our warrior, Norin the Wary. Okay, I can give <laughs> <laughs> And finally, for our rogue, Tiny Bones, Trinket Thief. Dude, Tiny so Bones. Here's how I picture this going. They all show up for, say, a, 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 to investigate a dungeon. First things first, the second someone takes a step, Norn vanishes into thin air. He's just <laughs> gone. <laughs> uh, the Geist of St. Traft, who, as I remind you, is entirely useless because he's dead, and I guess could summon an angel or two, whatever. Uh, the Geist of St. Traft would be like, oh, we gotta go do this dungeon thing. Tiny Bones is gone. He's stealing things from the locals already. And then Niv-Mizzet is left just so mad and angry and confluxed by everyone that he has to figure out a way to make this work as, you know, occasionally the wizard in the party does. He's furiously thinking and mumbling to himself and scrawling math equations on the walls. And eventually they all just leave because obviously nothing gets done. So this, in my theory, is the worst possible MTG adventure party. Look, I'm with you with just about all of those things. I think you're giving, you're not giving guys too much, like enough credit. Guys of St. Traff has a special place in my heart. I'm a spirits player. Um, he's not even good in that deck, really. Uh, <laughs> but I I can't get behind Niv-Mizzet here. Like, if anybody's going to come up with a solution and make make that party work, it's Niv. All right. I guess I'll pick a worse wizard then. I don't know. What, what other wizards are out there that are bad? Man, try and do this live. pretty powerful. Let's, I got to do a quick search for wizards, I guess. Uh like comment and subscribe if you know what wizard would fill out the <laughs> worst possible mtg party tell you what tweet at us what wizard you think is just bad and uh i'll tweet out my worst possible party later on uh later okay, on after this I, episode comes out i like that sure <laughs> <laughs>